Hello and welcome to episode 362 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the NFL Draft 2023 champion. There we go. There it is. The Eagles won the title. Ah, There were some grades for the Eagles that weren't as good. We're there. Okay. Yeah, now the Eagles didn't get unanimous A's. I think Nor did the Seahawks. They didn't get an A on this very podcast. Yeah, from Ben on this very podcast. (laughs) Critical. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to our 2023 draft recap with Ben Baldwin, who did not hate the Seahawks draft class, no matter what you might read occasionally on Twitter. He, I will say, he was not even that upset about the running back draft pick. Ben, maybe, maybe he's, maybe he's focused on tight ends. I don't, I don't know. I was more upset about the running back draft pick. Than you really he was. were. Yeah, yeah, you really were. And I was more upset about it offline than I was even on the podcast. Although I started to get myself worked up. Uh, well, as we record this, we are watching the 10th inning of the Mariners in Oakland in Game 2 of their series. We'll obviously have much more. We'll have some takes on the Mariners uh, later in the pod. But uh, in, in case Tristan's distracted early on, you know why that's happening. <laughs> this is not the rundown. <laughs> uh, but let's start with this week's beer, which comes from our friends at Sea Pine Brewing. It's the Sea Pine Mosaic Pale Ale. Crisp and clean lighter ale featuring mosaic hops, well-balanced with a light malt body and soft bitterness. <sighs> oh, wow. I have a little soft bitterness after that Mariners weekend. <laughs> oh, no. After being 2-2 with the A's in the 10th inning, I have some soft bitterness. Yeah, it might be some hard bitterness if they lose this one. <laughs> we'll see. TBD on that one is yet. You know what I do not have soft bitterness about? What's that? The Seattle Kraken. Hey, there you're wearing a Kraken t-shirt. We have you have been fully Kraken filled by this point. And uh well, conveniently, we have some Kraken related toasts. Wow. It's almost like I was making a transition there. Oh, wow. Uh, first off, congrats to Kai, Ty Cartier, who made his NHL, NHL debut for the Kraken in Game 5 last Wednesday after they lost Jared McCann at Colorado and scored is the Kraken won that game. becoming And this was a shockingly high number to me. The eighth NA player in NHL history to score in his debut during the playoffs. Yeah, that's a little wild, actually. So Kale McCarr was the last one to do it from those avalanches that the Kraken were facing. And it looks like the situation was that he had been drafted but hadn't signed. You know, you know the situation that we went through with Beneers last year where they were unclear when they were going to sign him. And they just didn't do it until the start of the playoffs. And he just scored a goal. Like, he was immediately an important player. So it was a little less unusual than this. Uh, Cartier was signed by the Kraken to an entry contract as a free agent Won the AHL's Dudley Red Garrett Memorial Award as the league's Rookie of the Year playing for the Kraken's affiliate, the Coachella Valley Firebirds. So a toast to Ty Cartier, who All right. done an admirable job filling in on that first line. That was, I, we did not get into this in the Kraken discussion. It's an interesting thing where like you're a player from your top line gets injured and you just bring in someone making their NHL debut and put him in with that line as opposed to promoting someone from the other line. It's a fascinating hockey thing. It's almost like in baseball, calling up a player from double A and having them start that night. Well, 
we will get into that later. Yes, it was a big week for debuts in Seattle sports. Uh, our other Kraken-related toast is to, speaking of Rookie of the Year, and speaking of Matty Beneers, Beneers a finalist for the Calder Memorial Trophy, honoring the NHL's Rookie of the Year. And I think the I think the favorite for that. I have not looked at the, the betting odds, but uh, I think he is the favorite. So, shouts to Matty Beneers. All right. This beer is good also. Yeah. What if we do just Seattle's best brewery rather than specific type of beer? I feel like that's awfully broad. We haven't, do we want to get into the, we have an email about that. Do we? Okay. We have the listener email. You you haven't read the rundown clearly. The uh, No, it's because you, you weren't excited about having a listener email. Sam Hagerty has just struck out. I just... There, there is no joy in the Pelton cast. <laughs> As maybe the chief... This is from, from Third Pelton Brothers actor. I figured, I figured, yes. <laughs> Most prolific emailer by far. Is maybe the chief member of the IPA lobby. It's the beer style I'd suggest you tackle because, just because it's so fundamental to Seattle's beer identity. Though I do understand that generally you like to search for foods you both love. I actually think there's a fairly simple method to narrowing down the field of potentially beers should you choose to go this route. They need to be available year-round in keeping with the general ethos of Pelton Cast searches. Man, okay. And they should roughly conform to the Brewers Association style guidelines for American-style IPAs, which I've included at the bottom. Probably <laughs> the ABV and IBUs are the main things to consider here, unless you got, want to get real technical. Uh, included in this uh, from Beer Advocate uh, is... Pale to copper color, clarity. Chill haze is acceptable at low temperatures. Hop haze is allowable at any temperatures. Uh, we've got malt aroma and flavor. Gino! Oh, wow. There we go. A toast to that. To <laughs> Eugenio Suarez with a three-run homer to give the Mariners the lead here in the top of the 10th. Just truly live uh, All reaction right. podcast here. Whew. A high to very high perceived hop aroma and flavor, uh, exhibiting a wide range of attributes, including floral, piney, citrus, fruity, sulfur, diesel-like. I don't want any diesel-like IPAs. Onion, garlic, caddy, resinous, and many others. Perceived bitterness, medium high to very high. Uh, body, medium low to medium. The gravity has to be 1.06 to 1.07. Uh, that's the original gravity. Uh ABV 5% to 6%. Bef- uh, I guess that's, is that before brewing? And then it's six, oh, by volume, it's <laughs> 6.3 to 7.5. This is great podcast content. Uh, I've also asked, added a very brief list of the kind of beers that I think would be good examples for what you should consider. Pike Brewing Space Needle, Rubens Crikey, Georgetown Lucille or Bodhi Zaffa, Bale Breaker, Top Cutter, Two Beers, Wonderland Trail. So I like a lot of those beers. Yeah, I feel like one IPA a week you could probably handle. Oh, I'm not saying I can't handle IPAs. I, I'm i now at, like, t- challenge accepted. Oh. I'm just saying if I'm drinking casually, I'm going to go for something a little bit lighter. Like the Mosaic Pale. Okay. Yeah, I would go for a pale or a lager, sour first. Like, that that's just what I would personally drink. But I can understand the craft and respect the craft of an IPA and a good-tasting IPA as well. Yeah. All right, fine. Fuck it. There we go. That is the kind of attitude we're looking for. We have settled <laughs> on our search for Seattle's best IPA. You son of a bitch, I'm in. I mean, it is, after teriyaki, like the most Seattle thing we've searched for. Way out of barbecue. Is that true? You don't think so? I mean, I what else like would it be? Ramen is pretty Seattle. 
Uh, I think Robin is pretty Tokyo. Well, yes, but like as a major coastal city, like ramen with a large Japanese population, ramen yeah. is an important food here. Like it's it makes more sense to search for ramen here than it does in Austin, Texan, Texas or something. And barbecue, vice versa. Yeah. Although I'm not, I'm not ruling out the barbecue search. I'm not ruling it out. All right. But at, at IPAs, it makes sense. Let's do it. I, I like the description. I like honing it down. Are we just going to follow those guidelines? Because to me, there's so many different options. And I think that's the main thing. I want to rule out hazy IPAs because hazy IPAs are not West Coast style. Really? They're New England style. Ooh. Yeah. I kind of like hazy IPAs. And now I don't. <laughs> I sold you. I quickly turned you against hazy IPAs. <laughs> you know my feelings about England and New England. Uh, I don't know if there was any other Englands here I can make the joke about. Positive on Old English, though. <laughs> oh, boy. It's been a while since I've had the eight ball. <laughs> I think it might have been since the Sonics moved. Probably sounds about right. Uh, we also got a listener tweet this week from Clem Fidango who asked, and then sadly right after we had recorded the emergency Kraken pod after they advanced beating the Avalanche on Sunday night, please answer this. What is a Pelton cast hat trick? And offers three possibilities. Idiot three different championship winning restaurants in a day. I like that one, yeah. Seeing three Seattle sports covered by the Pelton cast in a day. Or idiot a champion seeing a sport and seeing a Pelton cast related band. That was that, a tough one to pull off. I think even I might have done two for three at best on that one. I've because we've I've been to the UW football game and then saw all your bands, but I well, did not eat at a, a Pelton cast champion that day, I'm pretty sure. We had taco time that day. Well, I guess it's not not a Pelton cast champion, but it is not technically. the the day you're talking about, November nineteenth, right? Yes, UW versus that. Colorado. Illuminati Hotties and Enum Claw. At the Neptune. And Eliza McClam. Literally all the artists are Pelton Cast related artists. Correct. Plus a Husky football game. Plus taco time. Having the taco burger. We did it ourselves that day. Plus Chris blacking out. Well, you didn't get to the UW football game. <laughs> that's all, true. Did I didn't make I it to the it. football Chris game. Chris and I did it. You didn't. <laughs> Maybe that's why Chris game. blacked out. <laughs> wow. I, I didn't black out. <laughs> With three-fourths of, and was, no, Randy wasn't there. He was not there, sadly, that one. Uh, Three-fourths of talking taco time. I mean, I must have drank a Rainier at some point that day, too. I might have gotten, gotten the Pelican. I showed up and immediately drank a, drank a Rainier. I got there, drank a Rainier Tallboy, and then left at the tailgate. I, I still I feel like that's maybe not it, though. It's right? a little too niche, the, the Pelton Cast-related band part of it. I, that was just a special Pelton Cast day. But I feel like if you throw in the Rainier sporting event and eat at a Pelton cast champion or taco time or Pagliacci. I think that's your Pelton cast hat trick. I think doing all three at the same time. <laughs> They're going to be at the same time. Absolutely. They do. <laughs> well, there's only so many Pelton cast champions that are at T-Mobile park or Lumen field. I mean, we know that Dojoy is the people's champion is at climate pledge arena. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Tin Tai Fung is at Climate Pledge Arena. Dojoy is also at Climate Pledge Arena. Oh, Dojoy. I was. I thought you were saying Dozone. That's why I was throwing there. Yes, Dojoy is is at Climate Pledge. So you could do it there. Do they? They, they must have Rainier Tall Boys somewhere. In Maybe Climate Pledge I don't Arena. know. It's a little I, bougie. <laughs> yeah, it's not really their vibe. But 
Husky football games, Seahawks games. No, no taco time. You can, however, bring in any food that you want to Mariners or Seahawks games. All right, this is a good point. I feel like you have to be doing all three at the same time. Mariners have really broken this game open here in the top of the tent. There we go. It t- it Take that, A's. time <laughs> to get there, but they have finally broken through against this Oakland pitching staff. All right, so again, the Pelton Cast hat trick is attending a sporty event, drinking a Rainier Tallboy, and eating a Pelton Cast champion taco time or polyachi. There we go. At the same time. Yep. Or the, the same... Eh, I think it has to be at the same time. Wow. Not even just the same day. Yeah, there are rules about this sort of thing. You know we're going to try to orchestrate this happening next year. <laughs> at, uh, I guess we you can't bring in outside food at Husky Games, can you? But we could do it during the tailgate. Yeah. Okay. All right, with that, I think we are headed towards your favorite segment. Wow, we got there fast. We did. We have no search right now. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. Well, after the first month of the Mariners season, I think it's time to revisit the off-season moves the team made. And for some reason, I'm reminded of my favorite clips line from Mr. Me Too. I would just assume you'd keep the coke moving, but I got one question. What the fuck y'all been doing? And for the Mariners, I would just assume you'd keep the roster moving, but I got one question. Same question. What the fuck y'all been doing? And I could answer that question. Improving the roster is not what the fuck they've been doing, but rather gaslighting the fan base and telling us we are a small market team. We've been so gaslit that you tried to tell me yesterday that J.P. Crawford's 368 on-base percentage was quote-unquote impressive, even though it would only be third best on the Oakland A's roster. And this team, statistically, they've been unlucky per baseball reference. But in reality, the productivity that they're getting is quite lucky for this season. There's no reason to have anticipated that Jared Kelenic would be hitting the way he is. And if he weren't, this could very well be the worst offense in the league. And amidst all of this, a pathetic series against the Blue Jays where Eric Swanson seemed more valuable than Teoscar Hernandez. This is where the takes get hot. They had the gall to roll out some mid-ass City Connect jerseys that the SPD thinks look great and have an event for fans for the privilege of buying the most boring retread City Connect jerseys I've seen. And I only saw Ichiro's on that wall. No other players. All Ichiro. You completely disagree with me about the jerseys? Yeah. I think the jerseys are overhyped, but I don't think they're bad. But the thing that makes me most upset is the condescension from management. And Jerry DePoto, I'm defending Jerry DePoto here, having to be the mouthpiece for an ownership group who saw last season's playoff run solely as a way to increase profits while doing the least on the field. The thing we've learned is that fans and fan bases these days are smart, except for the ones who talk about you on the internet. Actually, no, maybe they're smart too. (laughs) Depends which ones. We know this through the NFL draft, right? We talked about the consensus big board being the best way to evaluate the draft. That's being built by fans and people who are judging the sport from the outside, not front offices. And the response from fans to this desultory offseason that the Mariners had, we were right. 
So don't lie to us. I would rather an ownership group who said the million percent profit we're making from team valuation isn't enough. We need more and we're going to sacrifice at the expense of the Major League Ball Club for our bottom line or even more. I'd rather an ownership group, a different ownership group. Go make your fucking money, John Stanton. The getting is good right now in professional sports. It's out there for you. More than a billion dollars and find someone who wants to compete on the ball field, not just for net profits. And I'm sorry to the fans, but them crackers weren't playing fair jive. So I think a lot of things can be true at the same time. About the jerseys. <laughs> They're so bad. I don't like the black pants, but I don't know why you would think the, the, the jersey tops are bad. They're just nothing. They're not bad. They're not good. They are neutral. The Mariners are bad at everything they do. They literally do not do anything well, except for ballpark, ballpark experience. I actually have to say they're probably pretty good at that. Yeah. I think generally off-field stuff, they're pretty good, except for they got rid of their, the Mariners ads this year, which was a huge mistake. Or I haven't had them in a couple of years here, but like before it seemed like plausibly because of COVID and the difficulty of filming them. Now it's clear that they just got rid of them. They're not great off the field at speaking to Rotary Clubs. Well, that Kevin Mather is not part of the organization anymore. Uh, first off, J.P. Crawford is 18th among qualifying AL players in on-base percentage. It's a good on-base percentage, okay? It's fine. It's a good on-base percentage. It's a strange place to hone in on. Anyways, some of the things that can be true. Number one, this season has basically been designed to highlight all the ways in which the 2022 Mariners were unsustainably lucky. Their pitching health, their record in one-run games, their record in extra inning games. And until the last five days, they could not win an extra inning game. They could not win a one-run game, and we will talk about the many problems they're having in terms of pitcher health that they did not experience at all last year. So I don't think that this team was as close to contention as the fan base thought it was. And like it's, it makes me laugh when I see the commercials now and things like that that are like touting, this is the year, the World Series, and things like that. It's like, let's all remain calm here. It it's a 500 team. Though. It could have been the year. You're telling me with one or two more bats that this team isn't competing? So thing number two that can be true is they've been exceptionally unlucky with their offseason moves. Like, other than Teoscar Hernandez, pretty much everyone they've added has underperformed. And A.J. Pollock, weirdly, just in the lead innings, you know. <laughs> I know, yeah, I'm kind of in on A.J. Pollock now. <laughs> Even though he's still got like he's, a 170 on He's the percentage. new Carlos Santana. He just gets huge homers. <laughs> there it is. There it is. That's what he is. But like Colton Wong has massively underperformed. The the bottom half of the order has underperformed more than Kelnick has outperformed his projections, I think. Like there's just so many guys, Tom Murphy, or guy guy Sam Haggerty, who are who are really underperforming what you would have expected them to do. The third thing that can be true is that they could have, without sacrificing the ability to win long-term, spent a lot more on short-term contracts to free agents and not have found themselves in a position where Tommy Lastella was the opening day DH, which was an indefensible outcome. We're going to look back on that in the future and be like, remember when Tommy Lastella was on the roster? It's going to be like a hilarious footnote. We're going to look back and be like, remember when they had three Italian guys on the roster? <laughs> 
you know times are bleak when we're cheering for the Italian guy to be released. <laughs> we're okay with the Italian guy being DFA. Exactly. Uh, I heard he was from Sicily. Um, <laughs> is our grandparents who said that? I don't want to get into that particular element. <laughs> uh, Italian on Italian. But, but also, they didn't factor in any regression at all in the roster. I don't the, know that I would say they didn't you factor it in. You should always assume regression in every situation. Like, if we were in going into the season, a fair hot take for the year would have been that the Mariners were going to be a lot worse than they were the year before. Because, yeah. again, people are smart enough to understand regression. Some some are going to get better and some are going to get worse. But the idea that Ty France would replicate the season he had that he had the previous year, that the pitching health would have been as good as the previous year, you're assuming breakouts becoming standard. Instead, in all situations, when you see a breakout, the first thing you should think is that this is going to regress after that. I haven't looked at Jesse Winker's stats lately, but that's a good example of the opposite side where people like just were so angry at Jesse Winker and so excited for him to get traded. And it's like, guys, you're just upset because he had a low batting average and balls in play last season. I think Jesse Winker, it might have been personal. It might have been the Shams tweet about Dylan Brooks about Jesse Winker. <laughs> Under any circumstance, the Mariners were not <laughs> oh, bringing no. back Jesse Winker. Well, okay, his negative war, although he's uh, got a three fifty eight on base percentage thus far. Do you? It's very exciting. <laughs> I mean, that's a good odd base. Do you want to look up what Colton Wong's on base percentage is oh, thus far? I don't think you do want to do that. Do we want to discuss the uh, offseason further? I don't want to talk about the offseason ever again. <laughs> I don't want to think about this offseason. The other thing that's frustrating is there's no answer, right? Like, the moves that they've made that have been successful are ultimately short-term moves. But we're saying shit like Taylor Trammell is going to save the season because there's nothing else. That's it. They don't have the prospect hall to be able to go out and get another player. Brian Reynolds isn't being traded anymore. You know, like... Because the, the Pirates are way better than the Mariners. The moves that are left to be made are so minimal. And, like, they, they're going to upgrade the roster at different places throughout the year, but... Any sort of huge move, it's done. It is finished. And that's why they had to spend. Because by when they traded for Luis Castillo, rightly, and extended Luis Castillo, it de it depleted their prospect base. Julio and Kalanick are in the majors now and playing well. Like, there's just not that much more left after it to be able to go make a move. Yeah. So, this is it. This is the team. It's just hoping that this team gets better. And they also got to keep developing players because, and they're, they're players that they do, young players that they do have have to continue developing because one of the things that happened is part of what has happened thus far is Julio Rodriguez has not been even the same player he was as rookie of the year last year. And look, long term, that's fine. Development is not linear, but in the short term, that, that's, a, that's a real big problem for the lineup. I haven't seen Julio's like the underlying stats. I would guess that they're probably still pretty good. That he's still hitting hard hit balls and line drives, um, but Julio is going to be fine. Like Julio is given the grace because of the pedigree and how good of a rookie season he had. That we assume that Julio is going to bounce back and become better. But there are other players that probably shouldn't necessarily be given that. His hard hit ball rate is down fairly substantially from last year, but his batting average on balls in play was last year three forty five. Thus far this year, it's two ninety seven. So. That, that almost certainly should improve going forward. 
Yeah, but if his hard hit ball rate is also down, those things are both true at the same time. I don't think the hard hit ball rate necessarily controls your batting average and balls in play on balls in play that much. Oh well, what a feel good win for the Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there's been a lot of Mariners news in the past week, including regarding Julio, who left the lineup on Saturday with back tightness. He returned to the lineup Wednesday <laughs> night as part of this thrilling extra inning win over the A's. Uh, the Mariners had two, not one, but two pitchers maintain extended no-hitters in their first major league starts in the past week with Chris Flexen heading to the bullpen after our conversation about him. The Mariners clearly reached the same conclusion I did on Chris Flexen's performance. Last Saturday in Toronto, it was Easton McGee who pitched one game in relief last year for Tampa Bay before being claimed off waivers by the Mariners last November. McGee held the Blue Jays hitless for six and two-thirds innings before a Matt Chapman double chased him from the game, having thrown just 64 pitches wow. to get there. But the Mariners couldn't score either and lost that one at the bottom of the 10th one nothing. McGee then headed to the IL with a forearm strain of his pitching arm, making way for top prospect Bryce Miller, who no-hit Oakland for five and a third innings before giving up the game's first run. This time, although the M's were no-hit for seven innings themselves by A starter Mason Miller, no relation, they were able to win it with a pair of runs in the eighth after Miller was removed. Both Millers had been removed by that point. Also, 10 strikeouts for Bryce Miller. Oh, the strikeouts were, they game. were, they were impressive. Having those kind of numbers, I think Easton McGee struck out almost nobody. You don't throw 64 pitches over six and two thirds at if I strike no, out he, a lot of guys. He was pitching to contact <laughs> yeah. Easton McGee. And so you would assume that the, like, the underlying stats for Bryce Miller are way more exciting. Just seeing yeah. those kind of strikeouts was like, okay. Like, obviously, these hitters haven't hit him. Obviously, it's the A's. The A's hitters have not been... Their offense hasn't been good. But no, it's been extraordinarily bad. It's also funny, by like the way. They're not, like, league-worst offense. They aren't? No, not even close. Their runs a game are not that far off from the Mariners. It is funny watching the A's now just, you know, not having tuned into a lot of baseball since the Moneyball era... And they are constantly bunting now and stealing bases all over the place. And it's is like, Billy Bean still their GM? He is still involved. I don't know if he's, I don't know his level of day-to-day involvement at this point. Because there was a, a point where it looked like he was going to uh, go with a group that was going to be purchasing another, uh, or maybe with John Henry's group, and therefore not be involved with the A's at all. I don't think that came to pass, but I don't think he is directly running the show anymore. Should have taken the Red Sox job in like 2002. I think Billy Bean turned out, things turned out fine. Brad Pitt played him. I know, I get it. I understand. Uh, Also, he would have had to be in Boston then. Oh, that's true. (laughs) No No amount of World Series would be worth living in New England versus living in Oakland. He's got it. He's got it right. He's living in the Bay Area. I'm sure he doesn't live in Oakland, but he's living in the Bay Area, living it up. I'd, I'd work for the A's forever to live there. Well, I've got some bad news about where the Vegas A's are too. Play. Uh, so, Bryce Miller looks like a long-term part of the rotation with Robbie Ray's season over. That is the most optimistic way to look at one <laughs> single start. A long-term part of the rotation. Well, you this- saw what happened to Easton McGee with the most Mariners-ass situation in 2023 of one ha- having one start, start straight to the IL. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh but they need a fifth starter, and at this point, it's going to be Bryce Miller. Because last Tuesday's follow-up exam revealed additional damage to Ray's uh, 
uh, elbow that required season-ending Tommy John surgery, which took place on Wednesday. So The other thing about the Mariners' offseason is that process-wise, they have approached this all wrong. If you're investing in somebody long-term and spending money, it should be on hitting. Hitting is much more consistent from year to year. It's much more resistant to injuries. And when you're signing a pitcher in his 30s coming off a breakout season, like your expectation for that should not be that high long-term. And he had probably what was an average to above average season last year. Definitely didn't exceed the amount that they were paying him. Wouldn't say so, no. And then boom, missing an entire season after that. I mean, I think that it's it's interesting because we know the stat that when they signed AJ Pollock, it was like the second biggest contract they had ever given to a free agent hitter. Earned it, earned it these last two days in Oakland. <laughs> and I wonder, like, obviously they've been willing to trade for hitters. I wonder to what degree that's the fact that T-Mobile Park, like the big free agent hitters who have come here, have often tended to suffer with the dimensions of the park and the the marine layer. That That's true. Each row did, did suffer after coming to T-Mobile Park. You're Ichiro. right. You make a great point. Each row's game. He would have been a 50 home run hitter somewhere else. I'm sure. Each row's game was well designed if for the original safe field dimension. Trying to hit home runs. I'm just like playing the hits right now. Mad at the Mariners. I have to focus on each row. Uh, Adrian Beltre, obviously. That, the you, whole dimensions of the field are different now. They are different, but the, the marine layer has not changed as yet. Oh, Richie it's Sexton, summertime in Seattle. Jeff Cirillo was also a trade. So I wonder whether that's a factor in their unwillingness to sign free agent hitters, just their expectation that they're going to come to T-Mobile Park and hit Robinson worse. Cano, Nelson Cruz. All right, these are some good points. You're citing things from like 22 years ago or whatever. The other thing is like, well, this like, is my Mariners sweet spot. Maybe they've, maybe because of the mistakes that they made in the year 2000, <laughs> then they missed the playoffs for 20 plus straight years. Then you're like, now they've learned. Uh, Taylor Trammell also returned from the injured list on Sunday. Hit a grand slam in his first plate appearance. Uh, that was awesome. Started started his first two games, came off the bench on uh, on Wednesday night. With Trammell's return, as mentioned, the Mariners did designate Tommy Lastella for assignment on Monday or on Tuesday to make room for Miller on the roster. I just love the idea that they're like, they're like considering signing free agents, and they're like, well, there was that Jeff Cirillo signing. <laughs> Like, yeah, we have to factor that one into the process. I mean, it's just confusing. I guess, I, I mean, Suarez, Winker, Winker did not adapt well to T-Mobile Park. They have been very willing to trade for veteran hitters, but they just won't sign them in free agency. I, I don't, I guess I don't have a good explanation for that. Uh, when they signed Robbie Ray, how much do you think they thought about Aaron Seeley beforehand, though? <laughs> Aaron Seeley was a pretty solid signing. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Mariners were able to outright reliever Diego Castillo to Tacoma after he cleared waivers. With Andres Munoz still yet to begin rehab, that leaves just three of the seven relievers who saw at least 20 innings of action last season currently in the bullpen. Matt Brash, who had a nice nice outing on Wednesday, Penn Murphy, and Paul Seawald, the lone remaining holdovers at this point. I think the bullpen's kind of settled in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they've gotten good production from... The, the player, Trevor Gott, has been very strong for them all season. The lefties that they brought up, uh, once Jer once uh, Scott Service finally got the lefties in the bullpen that he wanted, they've played well. So it's not necessarily been bad. It's just been kind of an example of how volatile reliever performance is from season to season. 
So, all right. Anything else on the Mariners? I think this is maybe the longest that we've just like normally talked about the Mariners. That was a lot of research I did. Like it wasn't. They didn't do anything. They did do something. But <laughs> yes. It wasn't like they made the playoffs. It was just a normal conversation about the Mariners. Yeah. We're a baseball pod now, but we're also... There we go. A hockey podcast. Hello. Because the Seattle Kraken are continuing their run. They took game one Tuesday in Dallas in overtime after a wild first period. How much of this did you see? The first period? Yeah. Zero seconds. Oh, okay. Uh, the Kraken gave up the opening goal, something they did not do at all in the Colorado series, as we discussed in that uh, emergency pod section of the NFL draft recap, then equalized only for the Stars to score again. And then the Kraken scored three times in a span of three minutes and 55 seconds to take a 4-2 lead after one period. They maintained that lead into the third, with the Stars cutting it in half nearly exactly at the midway point of the period before then tying it with 6.37 left in regulation. All four of those Dallas goals came from Joe Pavelski, who returned from his concussion with an impressive performance, uh, kind of an old-time playoff performance. But the Kraken hung in there. They should defend that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was also like some of the most random goals. Like there was the one-off, basically his shoulder. There was a redirect. It was a, it was a very strange game. Uh, in overtime, after enough enough time this time to build up the tension especially when i was actively recording the hoop collective podcast well that overtime was were going. you really i was yeah. wow yeah two nights in a row you've recorded podcasts while watching sporting events in, in, in extra, extra time yeah. wow and then in overtime yanni gord wins it for the crack and with a poacher's goal just kind of hanging around loose puck and finishes it off uh was this the most exciting hockey overtime you've seen Absolutely, it was. There it Out is. of two? No. <laughs> I've seen hockey overtimes before this, but it was hockey almost like... playoff overtime, obviously. Like a little bit anticlimactic, because I didn't necessarily see the puck go in. Like It was just so much was going on, right? They were near the goal a lot, and then all of a sudden, all the Kraken players started celebrating. Yeah, I was the stars looking down, and I just saw the celebration. I didn't see And I was like, all right, I guess we scored. It's a little bit different than like... You know, like in football where you see the player catch the ball or something, like seeing it or in real. you look at seeing Gino's fly ball there heading into the Well, gap. sometimes in baseball, it's like, uh, you don't want to celebrate too early because it's like, this could be a pop out. Don't want to, don't want a late era knee house it? <laughs> late era knee house it? Wow, that's not what I was going for. But you hear the. There's a, there's the, a lot of a long drive to. <laughs> and cut. But. You know, you hear, like, the kids at the ballpark scream every time there's a pop-up. You don't want to be that guy. Right. Right? And so I'm like, uh, and then when I'm like, okay, this ball's clearly leaving, then I can celebrate. You can tell from the outfielders, though. Like, the way that they're tracking the ball is often a cue. But, so I, it was kind of just like a skirmish, and then, boom, the Kraken won. Yeah. So they're up one nothing in this series. Uh, the Stars are still narrowly favored. They're minus 115 at Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill, which implies a 51% chance of winning. All right. It is basically a 50-50 series at this point with the Kraken having taken home ice going forward. Uh, game two, Thursday in Dallas. Because of a concert scheduled Saturday at Climate Pledge Arena, these teams will have two days off. I was wondering about that. Before game three on Sunday. they It took them like so long to figure out the schedule. They had to move the Storm preseason game that had been scheduled for Tuesday, which is when game four of this series will be played. Uh, they will then revert to alternating days every day after game, uh, starting with game three. 
probably the two days off a benefit for the Kraken, who had just one day off between Game Seven at Colorado and then playing this Game One at Dallas. So it's been it's been a long week of hockey for the Kraken. They had to travel, obviously. You know, the Stars getting to spend that weekend at home in preparation for Game One, and yet still didn't manage to take it because. Play single hockey games or very random, as it turns out. I was looking up what the concert was. Oh, yeah. That was a difference. I hope he hasn't canceled it because it looks like he canceled a different event. Um, Wait, really? That's That would be pretty hilarious if the concert but, ended up getting... getting Rayu canceled. Alejandro, looking at this photo, is about as far as you could get from playoff hockey. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's, that's probably accurate. The, like, futuristic glasses <laughs> that he has in the photo to... I, I will admit I have really no idea who Rayu Alejandro is uh but that into the playoff hockey is pretty incredible uh the Jabberwockies are part of it uh he did, now the thing is it the, the the thing that makes it so amusing that they couldn't move this concert is you, you check out the buy tickets there it's not uh not not the fastest selling just like, perhaps not as much so as the Kraken <laughs> playoff games I wonder if they'll reconsider booking shows around do when you, the Kraken playoffs are going to be think that surprise I mean you kind of got to book some shows. But the other thing that surprised me is like, it's the last show of the tour. Like they couldn't push it back a day. That, that no, was too difficult. way too hard for a tour like that. Once it's announced and on sale. Mm. Janet Jackson got pushed back a day. For what? When Hawks Celtics played game six, Janet Jackson got moved from Thursday to Friday or Friday to Saturday, whichever it was. Really? Yeah. It is not an easy thing to do. Okay. Well, they managed to move the storm game uh, from Tuesday to Monday. We'll talk about that more. Uh, anything else on the crack in here? Anything else? I'm just seeing if, if Rayu Alejandro canceled the show. I mean, it's, they're still selling tickets for it. You would you would think it has not been canceled. It's helpful for me, though, because I'm going to be in L.A. over the weekend, so I wouldn't even see the Kraken game, Game 3. It works out perfectly for me. Yeah, I had friends who had tickets and weren't back until Sunday, so they were very excited about it. Yeah. So I don't factoring that in, and the storm right. game being Monday is much more convenient for me. So, you know, everyone won here, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. except for Ray Alejandro. Apparently, his <laughs> tickets are not selling. Well, I don't know if they're going to sell worse because of and this. he canceled because his shoulder popped out of place in that story oh, really? that I was reading. Yeah, oh, it's no. like damn, I've been there. I still <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a real twisted move. <laughs> yeah, shoulder popped out of place. Oh, Luca boy. makes fun of me every time he's around other people. Um, literally any other people. That's I mean, good. That's when he's talking about pitching, for. he's like, I could throw ten miles harder than than my dad can, and I'm like, I've seriously injured my shoulders numerous times. Like this is not just like I have no arm strength or whatever. I feel like Luca can definitely throw harder than I can, and I don't have that excuse. I don't have shoulder trouble. Let's test it out at his birthday party. We could have a pitching gun. We have a pitching gun. Okay. Uh, I yeah, I don't know. We can do that any time if you want to have a throw off. Well, or I don't want to have a throw off. I don't want to compete with him. I am scared to compete. All right, let's turn to the Sounders. Who, uh, well, we were watching the Kraken and four NBA playoff games last. I believe this was Wednesday. The Sounders were busy playing one of the wildest matches in franchise history in the U.S. Open Cup. Really. Uh, at Starfire, they were up two nothing at halftime. Not as wild as the time Quint Dempsey ripped up. I was going to say I was there, like one of the wildest. That that was an all timer. That was the night of the NBA draft. I he got suspended for ten games after that. 
There was like almost a riot on the field. And it was and like in that setting, the fans could store the field pretty easily. It's not Lumen Field. In terms oh, of I, I remember we, we left like a little time. I was like, this game's over. We need to get the fuck out of here because it was tense. And we had very small children. And there were like police cars and fire trucks like storming in there what, at the end. They were scared for a second. What year was this? Like 2016? I feel it was baby is fantasy genius born yet. Uh, probably not. I would say by the time that Quint Dempsey was playing prominently for the Sounders. That sounds right. 2016. I had a two year old. Not quite two at that point. So yeah, it's a good thing. Good thing you got out of there. Now this is 2015. 15. Yeah. So he was really young. Yeah. Less than a year old. In my head, the year is always 2020. Like, you sort of set years where it's like, uh, it was my, always my 2000. still 1993. <laughs> to me, it's 95, so. <laughs> Amazing. But you set years where you're like, yeah, that's kind of basically what year it is, 2020. Yeah. And you said 2016, and I'm like, ah, like, my children, they weren't that young at the time. And I'm like, oh, no, they're now old, and they were young. I'm here to remind you what ages your children are. That's one of my many roles on this podcast. It's about to change, too. It makes it confusing for me. I had to think about it today. I was curious. Uh, anyway, the Sounders were up 2 nothing at halftime in this U.S. Open Cup match against the San Diego Loyal through Freddie Montero and Ethan Dobelair. They started one Tacoma Defiance player, subbed on two others in the second half, Surrendered a penalty in the 53rd minute, but extended the lead back to 3-1 in the 55th when one of those Defiance players, Philip Rothrock, scored and then nursed a 3-2 lead into stoppage time before the Loyal equalized, sending the match to extra time. There, Reed Baker-Whiting gave the Sounders the advantage only for San Diego to again equalize in the 115th minute. Three minutes into stoppage time for the second half of extra time. The Sounders won a penalty. Montero converted from the spot to finally end the match just short of a shootout. I almost cheering for the San Diego Loyal at that point. It's a pretty impressive run <laughs> by the San Diego Loyal. I got to give them credit to score four goals in this one. Uh, Sounders advanced the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup. They were drawn against L.A. Galaxy. That match to be played on May 10th. I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed with the San Diego Loyal. San Diego. <laughs> <sighs> Returning to MLS play, the Sounders played a significantly less eventful game Saturday at Real Salt <laughs> yes. Lake with neither team scoring. Uh, Sounders, reminding us, this is soccer. Sanders had the slightly better chances, but just one expected goal based on their shots per uh, SPI and just put just one shot on goal, period. Sounders again played without Christian Roldan for a third consecutive week. They also played without New Who due to illness. Uh, Roldan continues to experience concussion symptoms per Brian Schmetzer, who said at training this week that that's concerning, which certainly it is. Uh, they also, during this match late in it, lost Kellen Rowe to a knee injury. He's expected to be out six to eight weeks, although was able to avoid surgery, so he'll be back this season. Sounders' deed with his draw takes sole possession of first place in the West with St. Louis losing in Portland. LAFC now has two matches in hand, two points back. It's like one of those like political races where they've called it for the other person, even though they're down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know that the absentees <laughs> are going to LAFC. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the situation that the Sounders are in <laughs> the, right now in the West. The mail in all favors LAFC. They're, they're just like, they called it already? 
They're leading 52 to 48. No one has called this race. Thankfully. I've called the West. Wow. (laughs) For LAFC. I'm not. I'm not willing to put my reputation out there on calling the West for LAFC. Uh, the Sounders will put their five-match clean streak at Lumen Field on the line Sunday against Sporting Kansas City, which comes in last in MLS with just three points from ten matches. Still looking for their first win and have scored three goals thus far. Every other MLS team has at least seven, so a good chance to extend said clean sheet streak at home. Oh, I'm just hoping for a zero-zero draw. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Let's keep it clean for everybody. A nice solid one nothing win would be uh, would be outstanding. You you did ask the other night whether the when the Kraken were up four two whether there's an equivalent of parking the bus in hockey, and I did not have a good answer for that. So if the listener knows whether there you can actually park the bus in hockey, let us know. We're Italians. We're trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to break the sport. <laughs> We're trying to make take the sport that once was fun and make it a lot less interesting, <laughs> but win sometimes. As long as it goes to shootouts and you have a good goalie. You know, I don't know whether Italy made the IIHF World <laughs> Cup last year. <laughs> it's actually the World Championships, not the World Cup. Let me correct myself. Uh, O.L. Reign needed to come back to earn a point on the road Saturday in Louisville after going behind 2-0 in the first half. Megan Rapino converted a penalty won by Jordan Heidema to cut the deficit in half, and racing in Louisville was reduced to 10 thanks to a pair of yellow cards in the 72nd minute. Rain couldn't capitalize until once again stoppage time when Heidema scored off an Alana Cook cross to share the points. Rapino made her first start of the season playing 70 minutes as she continues to build up. Rain got six saves from Fallon, Tellus, Joyce, and this one on uh, on Wednesday night they continued their NWSL Challenge Cup action, their second match against uh, Angel City FC in this one, and this time at home a draw, also nil nil, much like that Sounders oh, yeah. match at the weekend. <clears throat> in NWSL action, rain back home or stay home Sunday to Saturday to host the Houston Dash, who sit right in the middle of the NWSL table with six points from their first five matches. All right, we talked about their preseason getting game getting moved. The Storm began training camp on Sunday with nearly the entire roster in Seattle. Storm only winning for Croatian point guard. Ivana Dojkic, who her team just wrapped up the Italian League finals on Tuesday, so should be here before too long. 12 of the 15 players in camp are new to the roster, with Jewel Lloyd, Eze Magbegor, and Mercedes Russell, the three holdovers. Best news so far is that Russell is practicing fully, no limitations, after playing just two games last season due to a recurrent headache syndrome. Uh, again, as mentioned, the Storm will open preseason play Monday, hosting the Phoenix Mercury. We'll see whether Brittany Griner travels for that game. I'm not expecting it at this point, but it could be her first basketball action since being released from prison in Russia. All right, let's get into UW sports, <clears throat> starting with baseball, which swept a three-game series with USC last week, staying in the rundown. Hello! Three-game sweep at USC. They never saw it go. Oh, sorry. Three-game sweep against USC. They never saw it coming. Even in the heat in Seattle, Washington, USC couldn't do it. Let's freaking go. Improving to 11-9 in Pac-12 play that began with another extra inning thriller on a Friday night. Tying the game down to their final out in the bottom of the ninth with Sam DiCarlo's single. You know what Sam is all about. You do. Get him on the Mariners. Before Kobe Morales walked it off in the 10th with his second home run <clears throat> of the game. 
Then they came back from an early five-run deficit on Saturday with four runs in the bottom of the eighth for a 7-6-1 and won Sunday's series finale more comfortable. More comfortably. Uh, this weekend, it's the Baseball Apple Cup Series in Pullman. Cougars come in ninth in the 10-team Pac-12. <laughs> yeah, a lot of numbers. <laughs> kind of confusing there. <laughs> uh, UW softball. Wait, is UW, are they in, I, I don't really understand how the College World Series works, but... That's a great question. Do there's like a chance at it. There's like a preliminary round to get to the College World Series, or you're just chosen, or you're not. Well, I think it's the same as softball, where you have 16 sub regionals. Okay, so like a total of 64 teams. 64 teams are in the College World Series, or like once you reach the final 16, that's actually the College World Series. Yes. Okay. The, the final eight is the College World Series, so I think it's the same format as softball. So. Right now, would you anticipate that UW baseball, this is a thing you know a lot about, uh, is, is definitely a thing that I'm looking up right now what their RPI is. To, do you think UW that. baseball is in the dance? Uh, I, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of bracketology out there for the college baseball tournament. So they are uh, number 50 currently in RPI. So okay. It feels like that's probably on the, on the wrong side of the bubble right now, but are there at, at least large, in the mix. Are there at large baseball teams? Yeah, I think the tournament still works the same way. Sorry, not at large, but are there automatic bid baseball yeah. teams? Okay. Yeah. You still win your conference, you're in the tournament. Yeah, it's the same setup. Okay. So UW baseball needs to pick it up a little bit here. Yeah. That's that's the sense I'm getting. Where's 11? Uh, they're 11 and 9 in Pac-12. Yeah, it's not great. I don't know how many teams you'd expect the Pac-12 to put in the tournament, but... Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Just being part of the dance would be exciting. Of course it would. The baseball dance. Yeah, I don't think they refer to it as, the, as a dance. Uh, softball had the weekend off from Pac-12 play. They got a pair of non-conference wins, beating Seattle U 3-0 and Utah Valley 9-1 in their home finale. But suddenly, the Pac-12 standings look very different after UCLA swept Utah, sending the youths tumbling to fifth in the conference standings. Having won 13 in a row, Oregon mm. is now tied with UW for second at 14-7. With Stanford just a game back at thirteen and eight, and Utah now two back at twelve and nine, those four teams all play each other this weekend. Uh, UCLA has already long since clinched first place in the in the conference. The youth will visit Oregon this weekend, while the number nine Huskies are at number seven Stanford in a crucial battle. Wow! Of two top ten teams Stanford on the final weekend of the job at this point. Yeah, we'll see. We will. That's a three game series. Yeah, we're taking two of those. And that's what they need to do. If, if they take two or three, they'll be in good shape. Uh, in that scenario, Oregon could, in fact, pass them if they sweep Utah, but still would make sure you're ahead of Stanford. All right, a big addition for UW men's basketball with Kentucky's Severe Wheeler announcing his plans to transfer to UW for his wow. fifth and final year of eligibility. <laughs> Wheeler played two years at Georgia before transferring to Kentucky for two Lost his starting job last season as John Calipari put more shooting around likely lottery pick Kaysen Wallace in the backcourt. Wheeler did shoot 37% from three last season, up from 29% career, but on very low volume, just 15 makes in 21 games. He's also small at a listed 5'10". So all of this may, you might be wondering, why is this such a big addition? Well, Wheeler has 655 career assists. And for context, there is only one player in the entire history of UW men's basketball with more than 500 assists in their career, that being Will Conroy, assistant coach Will Conroy. 
Uh, and just two players in the country have more than Wheeler over the last four seasons. Yuri Collins from St. Louis and Marquise Noel from Kansas State, who you may remember from his NCAA tournament heroics. Wow. So he's a point guard. Yep. All distribution. Yep. But is he a great passer? Like, do you, what do you know? Did you know Severe Wheeler before this happened? Of course. You were highly familiar with him? Yeah, watch Kentucky all the time. They have all the NBA prospects. So was this a byproduct of just playing with a lot of really good players? Or... No, I mean, certainly not at Georgia. He wasn't playing with a lot of really good players. I guess he probably overlapped with Ant-Man's one season at Georgia. I wonder if they were part of this. They must have been part of the same recruiting class, right? But he is a great passer and a great dis- distributor yeah, of court like vision. just like a floor general, yeah. I mean, the kind of point guard that UW has not had since Abdul Gaddy's Will Conroy. Abdul Ghadi had had some moments for sure, but I mean, Quade Green was a very reliable, but he wasn't this kind of playmaker. He was more of like a steady hand at point guard who could knock down some shots. Quade Green first, and then let's remember some guys from Husky basketball, <laughs> <laughs> like right. Like, I don't know what the ranking is, uh, but he's it's he's like past all of the obvious ones. Every single one of the obvious ones. There's Quade Green right at Halo Green is my number one, and let's remember some Huskies. That's my era. So the roster has taken shape now. Uh, probably still going to add some more players as they only have, let's see here, uh, 10 scholarships, I think, currently spoken for with the, as compared to the limit of 13. But now you've got Wheeler and Corin Johnson at point guard. Johnson's also going to play some shooting guard. They might start those two guys together, even though that would be kind of a smallish backcourt. Uh You've got the, the, the transfer Holland and... Uh, Who can shoot. Yes. Yes. And Wesley Yates, also in the mix at shooting guard. Uh, the transfer Wood, Samuel Arayibi, and uh, and Christian King and on the wing at small forward. Keon Brooks Jr. back at power forward. He reunited with Wheeler. They played together for one year. I was going to say, the Kentucky to UW pipeline. It is, it is an unusual... Pipeline, but it does exist. And then Braxton Mia backed up by Frank Kepnong at center. I gotta say, this feels like this might be a tournament team to me. Really? I mean, they've suddenly like got a lot of experience. Like they <laughs> could basketball is so fucking bonkers. They could potentially These are start. all just a bunch of you were like Holland, and I'm like, yeah, Tom Holland at shooting guard. I, I have forgotten his first name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I only put you were going put through it, and I was like, "Well, I know Mia and Kepnong." <laughs> you better know Brooks. It took me a second to be when you said Keon Brooks. I was like, "Oh yeah, Keon Brooks." I, just because it was so surprising, he came back. He was their leading scorer this year. I want to say it's Anthony Holland, but I don't 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 hold me to that. No, that is that is the player that uh, transferred from Fresno State. Okay. So, I, Corin Johnson will probably start, I guess. Holland, even though he was a starter in the Mountain West, not a big-time scorer. But they could potentially start four fifth-year seniors, plus Mia, I believe, would be a fourth-year junior next year. When the tan of big men with the distribution and shooting... like The, the pieces actually fit together. And I don't know when the last time, as we said that, about a Udov roster. You son of a I bitch, do I'm when, in. I do know when the last time Give was. Give me one more year of hop. We said that. And that's when they made the NCAA tournament for the last time. It's the last time we said that. And all of these players will be gone. But then maybe they'll just but that's get the a thing. bunch of fifth more. Maybe in the NIL era, 
it doesn't matter if you can't recruit because you just get transfers constantly. It's like the Oregon model back. Literally, in, you're never building anything. The Dana Altman model for yeah. a long period of time. That's I'm college okay basketball now. How many of these players committed to the University of Washington out of high school? Uh, four. Really? Who? Corn Johnson. Okay. The two freshmen, Wesley Yates and Christian King, and then Samuel Arievi. Not take to get out of high school. Uh, as he came out of the uh, NBA Basketball Academy in Africa. So two of them are incoming freshmen. Yes. So they pretty much are going to have to be at UW. <laughs> like, but of players... <laughs> they have not transferred. Yeah. Exactly. Of players who have been here for more than a season, there are two players. Or is R.E.B. new also? There are it's two just players Corin who Johnson. have spent more than a year at UW and started their college career at UW. Corin Johnson and... And Samuel Arievi, yeah. So fuck it, I'm in. But obviously, Brooks, Mia, and Kepnog will be in their second season. Why not? You know, I I definitely plan on forgetting all of this information until like December. But when December comes, they, I'm could, ready. they could play a, a significant non-conference tournament. Also, what if they lose to a bad non-conference team in November? Oh, You'll can't wait. It then. Can't. No, there's no <laughs> if about it. <laughs> what about when? They actually didn't until December this year, did they? Oh, that was nice. Yeah. Look, if you give me a team that can beat Gonzaga, I don't care how it happens or who the coach is or what happens. Well, I got to tell you, not not super exciting news that the, the younger Nemhard, Ryan Nemhard, transferred to Gonzaga. Had heard he was headed to Arizona, but instead decided to go to Gonzaga and follow it in his brother Andrew's footsteps there. Coward. <laughs> I could have competed. It's fine. Look, I, I get it. You know, you always tell me that sometimes uh, sports has to be fun. You want to play against lesser opponents to remind yourself that basketball was fun or whatever. That's what playing at Gonzaga is. You play against lesser opponents until you get to the NCAA tournament, then you get beaten. And, you know, it doesn't prepare you at all sometimes for it. in the national championship game. Look, uh, it doesn't prepare you for playing in the NCAA tournament at all, but into your sometimes 30s. Sometimes it prepares you for playing in the NBA. As many 40s, of their players do. you want to be significantly older than everybody else and have weaker competition because that's more fun. You know, it's like when I play against Mateo in the little hoop in his room, I dunk on him, I push him over or whatever. That's what playing against Zaga is like. I get it, Andrew, Ryan, Nemhard. That's what you want for a year. It's fine. Look, not everybody has to compete their hardest. It's nice to take a few years off in Spokane. <clears throat> Definitely, definitely no one trying to beat Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference. Uh, UW football saw several players reportedly submit notifications of transfer before the April 30th deadline to do so. Uh, there is no deadline for picking a new school, but that's when you have to be have your name in the transfer portal. Uh, running back Aaron Duma, who transferred to UW from New Mexico before last season, but did not see any carries and seemed to have sunk even lower <laughs> on the depth never chart. Never once heard the name. <laughs> we talked about him extensively because he first came here. We thought I thought he was going to be the starting running back when he first transferred here, but then Wayne Talapapa also that came was before Wayne Talapapa transferred. Cameron Davis and Richard Nixon stayed. Richard Newton, I should say. <laughs> Richard Nixon is not in there. <laughs> shifty. He's a shifty back. <laughs> <Did not> <laughs> Uh, that speed is not great. <laughs> really tricky, really hard to bring down. It's going to take a take a whole conspiracy to bring him down. Uh, most notably, wide receiver Taj Davis, who was one of the heroes of last year's win at Oregon, 
with his game-tying 62-yard touchdown with 3.04 remaining in the fourth quarter of that one. Uh, Davis had 21 catches for 277 yards and three touchdowns overall, but found himself kind of squeezed on the depth chart on both sides with Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunze both returning at the top, and then younger Jeremy Bernard and Denzel Boston pushing for snaps based on their strong spring practices. So not terribly surprising, but uh, uh, Tosh Davis, no matter where he ends up, he, you know, should never have to buy a drink when he's of legal drinking age, which he probably is already in, in Seattle around the UW campus ever again for his role in that win at Oregon. Hell yeah, Taj Davis. Uh, and then also <laughs> offensive lineman Miles Morau, who is a backup at right guard, and defensive lineman Siose Finau, both also transferring. This was kind of a reality, I think, once we got to spring practice and some of these players understood what their roles were going to look like with this uh, transfer period opening. It was just a lot. They're going to be players who are going to transfer. Yeah. And it's sort of like the opposite end of the spectrum of having so many players return Yeah, for the Huskies. I don't know if you saw that there were only like five uh, power five schools who didn't have anybody drafted. I in did this draft that. And it was Sometimes like, Sometimes that's a good thing. That That is exactly what the person who cited that stat said, yeah. right? It was just like, or quote tweeted it at least for UW the amount of players who they're going to have next year, it's going to be a whole new roster when we step into the 2025 season or 20, 2024 season. What what year do you think? Is, is... It'll be a new roster in 2025 also. And uh, when we get into the 2021 season, because it's currently <laughs> 2020. I'm 30 years old. <laughs> Always. Uh, Still but, solidly in my 30s. <laughs> but... This this was great news for the UW program for this season. Honestly, I think they're building depth beyond that as well. Yeah, but like, it's gonna look. I mean, a none of these different. positions are like all. It's not like the UW men's basketball roster where it's like, oh, they're all fifth year grad transfers. No, they're kind of set at like spot one and spot two at almost every position right now. I mean, obviously, like, look, it's easy to feel good about the roster in in. What, see, now I had to look what month it is May. as opposed to what year it is. May 2020 it's is the year. to feel good about the roster. And and that's May. coming. <laughs> I think the, the worst time is already behind the... us by, by May. May 2020 might have been kind of a bleak time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to feel good about the roster right now. What but day certainly... did that Celebrity Imagine video come out? <laughs> that's the darkest time. It had to be in April. <laughs> that was not May, was it? It might have been. Like wide receiver in particular is beyond set right now. And kind of the more surprising thing to me that there were more players. Jabez Tine, I thought was an also a possibility. Wow, March to... 18th. That was early. Wow. They got right on top of that. Yeah. Uh, I thought that Tine could have uh, followed his former Kentucky, former Kentucky, former Kennedy teammates into the transfer portal. But uh, he's sticking around to continue the battle for playing time. And, and running back, uh, Huskies lost their starter, but Cameron Davis saw a ton of action last season. And again, they have two newcomers from the transfer portal this year. So, All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks. Obviously, we talked a lot about their draft. Uh, do we have any other thoughts on that? Or are you uh, just busy looking up more information about the celebrity imagination? No, I'm yeah. good. I just had to look up the day. I, I do not need any more information <laughs> on it. The uh, list of who was in it. Uh, I, I think there was the 
the post from Brady Henderson, we had the conversation with Ben last oh, week right. of who were the two players that the Seahawks would have. Well, I edited out the part where we talked about the statement about them saying there were two players they would not have traded down for. But he asked the question, would they have taken Anthony Richardson if he was there? And Brady's tweet seemed to answer that. Well, Brady said matter, it was matter of fact. Yes. Right. There was no like gray area at all in Brady's tweet. It was it was Will Anderson and it was Devin Witherspoon. Period. So it was kind of interesting. I feel like. Do you remember the initial conversation we had about quarterbacks? And I told you the Seahawks are not drafting a quarterback. Yeah. I don't want a full page ad. You're welcome because nobody got anything from that. But I yeah, will. We'll, we'll, let's save the full page ad. You're welcome until we see how Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud's careers play. No, this is not on the perspective of whether they should Right. I still think, I mean, once Anthony Richardson was drafted, I don't think they should have, but like. You don't think they should have taken Will Levis at number five? <laughs> yeah. But this this is not a perspective on what they should have done. It was just understanding what the Seahawks wanted to do. Like for them to have done that, maybe for them, it's full page admission accomplished. Like. They wanted all of those teams to act the way that they acted so that they could get Devin Witherspoon at pick five. And or Will Anderson Jr. Or or Will I mean, I think there was at least a moment, I don't know, the Will Levis stuff probably wasn't actually real, but like the Seahawks legitimately questioned whether Devin Witherspoon would be there. They were legitimately excited. They probably shouldn't have been. There's almost no way he was going pick four or higher unless the Lions traded past the Seahawks. But like it sort of confirmed for me the knowledge or the my perspective of how the Seahawks approached this draft, and that was last year their offense was pretty good and their defense was quite bad, and they were going to improve defensively with this pick. They saw that pick all year as we are going to improve the defense. They improved in a different place than we thought they would, but to me it's a smarter place given the players who are out there than they should have, than, than they could have otherwise, maybe with somebody like Jalen Carter or whatever. I'm still all about you have the secondary. The secondary equals the pass rush. The people who should be happy in this draft are Geno Smith, we've talked about it a ton, getting like his starting job cemented, and Jackson Smith and Jigba as a receiver is going to be open, plus a running back in the second round who will be helpful on offense, whether we like the pick or not. Probably. The other people who should be excited about it, though, are Boye Mafe. Daryl Taylor, Uchenna Nuoso. Like, those players, if this def- if this secondary is as good as the secondary can be, those players are going to have an extra second, second and a half to get to the quarterbacks. And that is a huge deal. I mean, maybe also, you know, Jaron Reed, the, the players on your interior defensive line who are part of that pass rush, too. So, uh, one thing we learned is that they will not be joined by at least two of the players who were part of the Seahawks defensive line last season as Puna Ford signed a one-year deal with the Bills on Wednesday while Al Woods reportedly heading to the Jets, joining Quentin Jefferson there as part of the exodus of the Seahawks defensive line. I think a lot of people were holding out hope that these players might return, and you know, Pete Carroll and John Schneider didn't close the door to that after the draft, but they also didn't say it was going to happen, and you know that 
Like, look, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. I was going to say, you closed the door on it. The Seahawks Kevin, have ESPN's no Kevin money. Pelton closed the door on it. You've, I feel like you've been the most vocal about this of anybody is that they just do not have money. And they don't money. really have off, off, obvious places to find money. I mean, it's possible that Al Woods' deal could could end up being for the minimum. I don't think that's likely with Puna Ford's contract, given if Puna you know, Ford the is point making of his the career. minimum, the NFL's all off. Yes, I. But I think I think they're probably making both make, going to end up making more than that, and that the Seahawks just ultimately couldn't compete financially. And we'll see. Shelby Harris is still out there. I don't think that's going to happen with him either. But that is a possibility. I suppose he's going to get signed tomorrow. You know, this is going to be like <laughs> we'll see a tweet from an agency and be like signed with the fucking Minnesota Vikings. Congrats or to Shelby Harris yeah. on signing with Team X. Yeah. <sighs> it would. So the Seahawks are going to need to sign some defensive lineman for the minimum, but it might be a tier lower. Obviously, the league is not hugely valuing those players. I mean, Pune at least brings some degree of interior, like, pass rush and playmaking. I agree, but still, teams waited until after the compact deadline was over to sign Pune Ford. If there was a t- literally any team could have stepped up and signed Pune Ford beforehand, but... Well, they also waited until after the draft, and I think that there's some element of it is like, let's see what we do in the draft, and then we're willing to make you this offer of more than the minimum. But it's just an understanding of this is how this is how the position probably should be valued financially. At least in terms of non-elite players. Like elite players, we have we've talked about this previously. The all the draft evidence, all the second contract evidence suggests that they should be valued in interior defensive linemen at an elite level or providing almost as much value as edge rushers. It is an extraordinarily small group of players, though. We want to talk about a small group of players providing a high degree of value. Let's talk about Jordan Brooks's fifth-year option, which the Seahawks officially declined earlier this week. That would have been worth $12.7 million. According to Over the Cap, just seven off-ball linebackers in the league have contracts averaging more than that. Obviously, a one-year deal for $12.7 million is not exactly the same as a long-term deal, but you look at the two other linebackers, at least who I saw in the, in the were drafted in the first round the same year as Brooks, also had their options decline, uh, Patrick Queen and Isaiah Simmons. And this is part of why you don't draft an off-ball linebacker in the first round is because they have to be really amazing to justify that fifth-year option. I mean, is there anybody... Like, at least not in this draft. There's so few linebackers almost ever who would have gotten that deal. Yeah. At the position. And, (sighs) And, of course, that was true even before the ACL injury that Jordan Brooks suffered that leaves his 2023 season in... You know when he'll be able to make his debut in question and uh, makes it that much more likely that even if the Seahawks want to retain him, which they have said publicly that they do, uh, that they can do it at a lower price point and maybe over a longer period of time. It's kind of just a bad draft. Like there were, it wasn't like one of those situations where Darryl Taylor, you, oh, like the draft itself. Yeah, where you look at Jordan Brooks being taken, you're like, wow, they could have gotten so and so. I mean, T. Higgins is kind of the obvious one, right? But there, there are not that many players, like right. I think I wanted them to draft Lavisca Chenault. Like, uh, people loved Lavisca Chenault. So, I mean, like Antoine Winfield, Trevon Diggs. They're better players, obviously, like Jalen Hurts. But they just weren't going to draft Jalen Hurts that year. 
So it's not like they drafted Jordan Brooks and it was like three picks later what Aaron Donald went or something. But And that young man's name was George Kittle. This was all, all the reason that they probably should have figured out a way to trade out of that pick. Um, and I think Patrick Queen, I don't know. I really couldn't even say who's had a better career so far between Jordan Brooks and Patrick Queen. They're just, they play a position that people think is probably more valuable than it is because they end up around the ball and they get a lot of tackles. They just don't do the things that necessarily lead to winning football games all that much. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. It, it was an interesting conversation where the Seahawks were like, Jordan Brooks' tenure with the Seahawks is not done. or He's still in our long-term plans. And it's just like, is he? Like, of course, he's on the team next year. I agree with that. I think they still believe in Jordan Brooks. I think I, they still I, believe I, in Jordan Brooks also. But where is the money going to come from when the amount of young players that they have on this roster at premium positions? Like, it's not going to be that long before they have to start paying Trequel. You know what I mean? Like, the amount of players that they have. can't negotiate until, is it after two years? I guess that is, that is not that far away then. There's just, they have players in important positions. They have a steal of a quarterback, and they still have no money. You know what I mean? Like, this well, team kind of needs to be good right now. They are definitely the drill tweet, and their version of candles is safeties. <laughs> yes. When the safety money goes away, then all of a sudden a lot of things are going to open up. But, <sighs> like, I, I just, I don't really see where they're going to fit Jordan Brooks in their long-term plans. We've talked about this a lot, which is, Bringing back your own players, it's harder to get a discount because they would rather take a similar contract somewhere else. You need them to sign with the Rams for one year, and then you can get them to come back yes. and take a discount. Maybe that's what Pete meant when he was like, Jordan Brooks is in our long-term plans, which was, Jordan Brooks will sign somewhere else, he'll be released, every single fan of the Seahawks will think the Seahawks are going to sign him, and then they will! And it'll be awesome when we sign Frank Clark, baby, let's go! Uh, anything wait. else on Just the Seahawks? you wait. I'm still, I don't know. I'm just freaking, it's going to be hot outside. I'm getting kind of hyped for football. You understand that most of the football season is played when it's the worst possible weather in but Seattle. But the season you... starts when it is hot. It does. Right? I, I, it's going to be like, it, it'll be a fun training camp preseason this year. Like, we don't have to worry about the quarterback conversation anymore. It'll be very fun to be like, see a lot of Drew Locke. And did they bring in a third quarterback? They brought in some undrafted free agents, but not not a clear third quarterback at this point, no. Okay. All right, one last stat before we go on the Mariners game from Alex Mer- Meyer of Mariners PR. A.J. Pollock, the first Mariners player to hit a game-tying or go-ahead home run on a 10-plus pitch at-bat at in the ninth inning or later since Mike Cameron hit a walk-off home wow. run on a 12-pitch at-bat in the 19th inning on August 1st, Oh, wow, that game. That game. He fouled off a bunch of pitches? Apparently so. As if that game hadn't been going long enough. That's awesome. It was a 12-pitch at-bat. Did you kind of have that bat. thought on the A.J. Pollock at-bat? I was sitting there, I was like, he did it yesterday. He's kind of fouling off a lot of pitches. I didn't, not when he was fouling off the pitches, when he first came up. That I, I like, did have that thought. I was like, he's kind of hanging in there. A.J. Pollock, he's the new Carlos Santana. Let's fucking go. Unfortunately, we do not have a musical accompaniment for A.J. Pollock. I don't even know what that would be. If you've managed to listen this long, please send us your suggestions for A.J. Pollock. Sounds like a fish. Or it is a fish. I don't know. We're going to work on it. <laughs> Let's keep workshopping that. 
on that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.